There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is the Tom Bernard Show. Filling in for Tom Bernard, I'm Dave Schrader, along with... Andy Brandt Bernard. And Cassie Schrader. We'll be back. We've got news and more right here on the Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and <laughs> it's gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Where's the manager? Walzer Automotive presents Car Selling Secrets. Join me, Tom Bernard, and Doug Sprinthal as we talk cars, how to buy them, how to lease them, how to make the most of your money, and much more. What's it going to take to earn your business right now? Tune in every Thursday from 2 to 3 Central or download it on the Tom Bernard Podcast page. I don't know. I think I'm going to have to think about it. What is this? You don't know what Parliament is? Come on. I don't. This is funk. Could I get any whiter looking? Have you We're seen me at all? We're here. Are, are we functified? Oh my God, I love George Clinton. It's, now I know the name. Yeah. <laughs> and I probably heard a few songs. This one just doesn't register. This is flashlight. Look at you. This is flashlight. <laughs> I love Getting this. Ghetto on me. I love this stuff. This is my house cleaning music. Is it? Yeah, that's huh. what I listen to when I'm cleaning. That's why I've never heard it. Yeah, I have my earbuds in so I don't disrupt oh, yeah, anybody yeah, that's else. That's it. <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> okay. I just was getting at the point the house wasn't clean. That's why I haven't heard the song before. Oh, oh snap. Well, the world is de-evolving around us. Yeah. How do you like this story? Two arrested 
in buffet brawl over <laughs> crab legs. That's about right. Andy, have you ever been so hungry at a restaurant that you were willing to kick somebody's ass for that last McNugget or something? <laughs> no, I have not. Alabama, <laughs> Alabama police say a dispute over crab legs at a dinner buffet ended in a brawl that left two people facing misdemeanor charges. Huntsville police officer <laughs> Gerald Johnson says he was eating at the Meteor Buffet restaurant when a fight broke out. Johnson tells WHNT-TV that diners were using service tongs. <laughs> they were using service tongs like fencing swords. Oh, no. <laughs> hmm. Oh, I hope somebody got that on oh, video. Oh, God. <laughs> they were using uh, service tongs like fencing swords and plates were shattered. And a woman was beating a man. <laughs> You're getting a visual, uh, aren't you? Yes, I am. <laughs> How do you just go at it with each other? The service tongs at the buffet line. Click, click. I know, right? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, uh, he was, she was beating him, and Johnson says, says uh, diners had been waiting in line for crab legs for more than a whole 10 minutes. <laughs> wow. 10, ten minutes, minutes, Andy, he had to wait for those crab legs. I can't and They lost it. their temper once the food came out. The station reports that Chiquita Jenkins, <laughs> of course it's Chiquita Jenkins, is charged with assaulting John Chapman, who suffered a cut on his head. Chapman is charged with disorderly conduct. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So Chiquita attacks him and he gets charged with disorderly conduct? Yeah. This is crazy. Court records aren't available to show whether either person has a lawyer. <laughs> I'm going to guess they probably don't. Look at, the, look at these two. Talk about wow. the odd couple. Yeah. Looks like something about a Rick and Morty. Yeah, it's like a young black woman and a very old white man. Yeah, but she, the young black woman's got Giorgio Sucolo's hair from she sure does. Aliens. <laughs> I'm not saying it was aliens, but it was aliens. I can tell I think you, in though, her case, it was aliens. Whatever it was. Some buffets, they have to limit people taking the crab legs because <laughs> um they'll have like uh like family's cub and they'll like pile the crab legs on their plates and they'll all just sit there that's all they do is yep. eat if it's all you can eat because it's the crab legs are expensive and people just it's weird because they don't go for what they want they go mm -hmm. for what's the most expensive yeah. Which to me is kind of counterintuitive. <laughs> I know. Like, like, they take gonna, advantage of that all you can this, eat crab legs. But hey, I'm getting my money's worth. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. The crab leg buffet. I can't guess they're real good crab legs. <laughs> well, no. And they're not Alaskan king crab. I don't know. Aren't crabs just the cockroach of the sea? Basically, yes. Cra crabs and lobsters, right? They just eat poop on the bottom of the ocean and we fight over them. Well, well, lobsters are, like, objectively disgusting animals, but they taste good, so we don't care. Crabs are a little less gross, but they're still pretty gross. I have much respect for the crab leg because... <laughs> mm. <laughs> what do you expect? She's Funkadelic over here. <laughs> well, I've got much respect for the crab leg. I do, because I've watched Deadly Sketch and <laughs> yeah. what those people have to go through to get those damn crab legs. Yeah, when I eat crab, I'm like, so... Some guy like sat out there in freezing rain for three weeks, so I could sea. so I could eat this crab leg. Mm. That's the best way to go. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't. You know, I was so addicted to the uh, deadliest catch for a long time. I was too. And then I just got bored with it. It was the same story. We well, yeah. I mean, died. how much? <laughs> Nobody. Ships go under. Yeah, but nobody died. I was well, waiting for something exciting. Well, to nobody went under with a camera crew on their ship. It was the ones that didn't have it. All right, let's go for some more restaurant-related fun. Man accused of dipping <laughs> testicles in customer salsa. Ew. <laughs> he teabagged the salsa. He has been arrested. Thank God, the salsa teabagger is no no longer a threat. A Tennessee man was jailed on felony charges after appearing to dip his testicles into the container of salsa. Appearing. So you either did or you didn't. It appeared to us, but we're not 100% sure. Ew. Oh, God. He uh, dipped them in. 
in a bowl that a customer had ordered online. The delivery driver allegedly recorded it and posted a video online saying, this is what you get when you give an 89-cent tip for a 30-minute trip. Girl. What the hell is wrong with people? <laughs> I don't know. And who gives the tip before the food's delivered? I don't Unless you, you can do that when you pay with a credit card, you can add the tip or. Right, but usually you, when they get there, you sign. Yeah. Or you can give an 89 cent tip for a third deal. I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> news. And then the guy was dumb enough to videotape himself dipping them oh. in, the, in the salsa. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then oh. posting it online. Oh, God. News outlets report that the passenger, 31-year-old Howard Matthew Webb, was arrested last week and charged with adulteration of food. Adulteration. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. Mm, look at that bowl of salsas looking sexy. <laughs> Dinner delivered, said the food service, has fired the driver and forwarded information about her to authorities as well. Oh, it wasn't Wait, even her. the driver. Her her partner sitting in the car is oh, the notorious I was going to say... <laughs> The ball dipper. The notorious B-A-L-L. Webb remains behind bars pending a March 12th hearing. His arrest warrant says they picked up the food for delivery from a local Mexican restaurant. The company issued a refund for the tainted food. Mm. Well, that was good of him, at least. (laughs) That is good. Kicking back a little bit. Uh, Now we've got some sad news. Uh, TMZ is reporting that Luke Perry... Mm -hmm. Has suffered a stroke in the L.A. area. Um, let's see if I can actually get the story to open up. Uh, around 9.40 a.m. on Wednesday, he's 52 years old, which is pretty young to be yeah, having strokes. Yeah, my age. Oof. Uh, he's under observation, but we don't really have. We don't have a reason. We don't have a uh, his state. Drinking, All we know is that drinking, he's had a smoking, and drugs can do that to you. Well, right? yes, they can. Loosen up a lot of brain cells, or I mean, uh, not brain cells, but loosen those arteries and cause all kinds of problems. Oh, yeah. Smoking, especially, is, really increases your odds of having a stroke. Yeah, I think he was a smoke, a heavy smoker. Um, oh, I didn't even know this. He's he's back on TV. Oh, he, he is? is? Yeah, he's playing Archie's dad on the TV show Riverdale. That's right, I forgot. And he's been shooting episodes recently in L.A. on the Warner Brothers lot. Luke's medical crisis coincidentally struck on the very same day Fox announced it will reboot Beverly Hills. <laughs> that does not sound like a coincidence. He's like, if they reboot this thing, I'm going to have a stroke. And he followed through. The show, show on which shot to fame playing Dylan McKay in the 90s. Well, his former co-stars Jenny Garth, Ian Ziering, Jason Priestley, Brian Austin Green, Tori Spelling, and Gabrielle Cartieris will be on the revived series. Luke has not signed the project. Mm. So they rebooted 90210, right? Or am I hallucinating this? They rebooted this like about 10 years ago. I think they did. You're... Yeah. And then I they brought back right. the original characters. Mm-hmm. But it was it was based on like younger characters, but they were like teachers and uncles and aunts of these kids. Yeah, here we go. Nine yeah. o, it was just called nine o two one o, and it was rebooted in two thousand eight. Right, and but the original cast would show up on it. Uh, let's see. I don't know any of the original cast, so uh, I couldn't yeah, tell yeah. you. Jenny Garth, Ian Ziering, Jason Priestley, Brian Austin Green, Tori Spelling, Gabrielle Cartiris. I've got to guess what's her name? Um, Shannon. Shannon Doherty. Yeah, she's got to make a comeback. What uh, is she doing? I, Shannon Doherty? Yeah, it's not like she's... Maybe she's uh, in anger management class. She probably needs to be. Yeah, she had some issues there for a while. I think there was like she's, a, a public thing where she was like throwing stuff at people. She's and, only 47. What was she, eight years old on the original series? Uh, she was young. She was in, I want to say... Uh, she was she 19. 20s. Yeah, I was going to say, she had to be around 17, 18 at the time. Huh. Oh, she was busy getting married over and over, apparently. <laughs> married in 94, or 93, 2002, and 2011. First two only lasted one year, so hmm. that's not good. Oh, she was in Charmed. Yeah, well, she was on yeah. the TV show Charmed. But then, yeah, since then, she They've hasn't... rebooted Charmed as well. They have, huh? And now it's, I think it's You're three right. Hispanic girls that it's based around. Oh, mm. okay. I, I, is, I'm assuming it's on the CW. I don't know. I haven't watched it. I don't watch. I don't watch cable. I don't either. There's only the certain shows like Walking Dead. Yeah. That we watch. Um, 
is there really any other show on cable that we watch? Mm. Everything's on streaming, Netflix and Well, you know, CW, uh, the boys and I record Arrow and Supergirl yeah. and with you know all the CW superhero stories. Um I don't know. Speaking of Walking Dead, uh, there's a new Walking Dead spin-off in the works. AMC's uh, executives are confirming a new spin-off of The Walking Dead is in works. And that was uh, confirmed during the quarterly earnings call with the Wall Street anal- analysts. But here's something interesting. They took a big hit earlier this year because of the failure of low ratings mm-hmm. of this new season. But according to this, uh, mess- uh, to this um, news story, asked to elaborate on CEO Josh Sapin's mention of a third zombie outing, the uh, chief operating officer, Ed Carroll, said the spinoff is an active development. He declined to offer any more specifics, including whether it would fall under an existing distribution agreement with Hulu. We're not at a stage where we'll be announcing its plans to premiere, Carroll said, but we've hired creative people that have pitched out story outlines. We feel very good about the development of the series. We're not in a position to talk about partnerships in terms of other territories or ancillary windows, but... Uh, there's a healthy appetite for this, and we've had a number of con- uh, of conversations with a lot of players in this space. A new Walking Dead series comes as the Mothership show has seen a slew of departures, such as Andrew Lincoln, Lauren Cohen, and series low ratings in its ninth season. Additionally, as more crossovers are in the works with spinoff Fear the Walking Dead, Lincoln is set for a series of Walking Dead movies, and Black Panther star Denai Guerrara uh, will be easing down her Walking Dead presence in the show's upcoming 10th season. Carol asserted that the inevitable fate of the original show should not obscure its status. It is still the number one series on cable. Really? I, it, beating Game of Thrones. Wow. Unless, do they, well, yeah, that's cable. I was going to say, unless they don't count the big movie. But it's so hard, it's so hard to... Networks. To uh, compare them. Game of Thrones on HBO. HBO, And see, that is like a paid subscription service. Like you, not every... So is cable. Well, yeah, but like you can opt out of having HBO not pay pay the extra. So I don't know how they gauge that because... Well, they say it's the number one series on cable and number two drama overall on TV, only behind NBC's This Is Us. Mm -hmm. We're well aware that when a show has been around for nine years... You would expect viewership to be declining, but I think we've managed that and managed that well, Carol said. When The Walking Dead is no longer part of the channel, I think that there will have uh, that will have more of an impact on revenue than on income because generally expenses go up as the seasons continue and viewership declines. That's just a general pattern with any show that's been around as long as The Walking Dead. The company's fourth quarter res- uh, results beat Wall Street's estimates with adjusted earnings per share of $1.92 clearing the bar by $0.08. Cents. Wow, so you'd really be raking in the bucks if you were investing in that. Yeah. Up eight cents this year. Wow. Revenue of seven hundred and seventy three million coming in more than fifteen million above analyst expectations for the series. I don't know, do we why do we need a new series? Why can't we just pour like more storyline story, a better yeah. storyline into what we already have? Because Although then I, the people who are working on the new series wouldn't be making the money. It would be going to the old series people. Right. I, yeah, I understand that. I guess, yeah. like they said, it's in the because article, everyone wants a piece. That's why. I just don't know if Fear the Walking Dead, you know, the other sequel, if it. I can't stand that show. I watched the first two seasons and it was like pulling teeth. What it is was it? It's so bad. It's just uh, Walking Dead. Walking Dead, I've seen a bit of, and I, right. I understand the premise, but what's Fear the Walking Dead? That kind of took us to when the, the disease first hit, and we oh. see the. Everybody collapsing. We see everything happening. Whereas in That's Walking not a bad Dead, idea. Rick gets shot, goes into a hospital, wakes up, and it's already happened. Yeah. So we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll do a little bit more talking right here on the Tom Bernard Show. It's Tom Bernard with CEO Michael Bilski from North American Banking Company. Michael, we spent some time talking about your free app and money transfer service, XCheck, which is just great, by the way. You can transfer money to your kid to travel home from college and lots of other uses. I got wind of another service you provide at North American Banking Company. What's this Super ID I've been hearing about? Great question, Tommy. Super ID uses your face proof and your finger proof to keep your identity and your money secure. It's really a foolproof way to protect your family and your business from identity fraud. It's simple, fast, and oh, the best part is that it's free to our customers. Super ID, super easy, and super secure. 
Visit nabanco.com or see my personal banker to get the scoop on XCheck and Super ID. North American Banking Company, a better banking experience. Member FDIC and an equal housing lender. Tom here. Over the years, you've heard me go on and on about my eyes and how great I've been treated by the folks over at Whiting Clinic. Well, it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States and the trusted LASIK provider around these parts. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts that they are, they want to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. For a limited time, mention my name and receive an additional $300 off your LASIK. That's $300 off Whiting Clinic's already low price for LASIK. Trust your eyes to Twin Cities LASIK experts. Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. Visit whitingclinic.com or call 855-554-2020 and don't forget to tell them Tom sent you. Offer expires March 31st, 2019. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offers. Sometimes I see clickbait article titles. Yes. And I just like to misinterpret them on purpose. Okay. Thinning hair? Pour this on your head and watch what happens. <laughs> you a, could take that a lot of ways. There was a clickbait article the other day about Wolfgang Van Halen. And it says, Wolfgang Van Halen, or Van Halen admits online he wants to die. And I'm like, what? Mm. Is he sick? Is it? I click it. It's literally an article talking about how he was playing a video game. Oh, my God. And he was online or something and made some comment about, oh, great, I just want to die. And that's what they led the article with. Oh, jeez. Yep. They have zero shame because every click is money and they don't care how they get it. Yeah. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised. People are willing to, you know, rape and murder to get money. Why Why is clickbait so scummy? Well, right. people have been genociding one another for all of human history or just for a little their testicles and salsa over and over the oh, testicle dip. Yeah. God. Ugh. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> Queen's Adam Lambert is talking about why he didn't play Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. Because he doesn't look anything like well, him. Well, there's that. <laughs> Adam Lambert has revealed why he didn't consider taking the role of Freddie Mercury in the Queen biopic. The singer who has performed live with Queen for various shows since 2011. Wow, is that right? Eight mm -hmm. years he's been the lead singer? Wow. Has said that he doesn't think he would have been the right fit. Speaking to Entertainment Tonight, Lambert said, I don't look like Freddie. I don't sound like Freddie. I sound like me. The former American Idol contestant who made a cameo in the movie then praised Rami Malek's Oscar-winning depiction of the legendary star. Rami looks amazing. He's a great actor. From what I understand, they used pieces of the actual studio recording of Freddie and Mark Martell, who is an impersonator of Freddie Mercury, to do some of the other vocal stuff, he said. Lambert continued, so it's really about recreating Freddie, so no, it wouldn't have been me. Of course, on Sunday, February 24th, Malik picked up the Academy Award for Best Actor in the box office smash. Malik also won the equivalent Golden Globe and BAFTA Award. Bohemian Rhapsody has performed well uh, elsewhere with accolades including Best Picture, Best Sound Editing, Best Sound Mixing, and Best Film Editing. I mean, that movie was, that was a great movie, and he nailed it. But Everyone I always wonder, when it. you do a biopic, you know, um, it, it, the the deal was for a long time, it was like if you were handicapped, mentally handicapped, or acting out a star, you were almost always guaranteed an Oscar yeah. that year. And I wonder if that's still kind of the well, the trend here. I didn't know Mark Martell was part of the production yeah. with the music. And uh, when we were talking with Lammers, because I brought him up, and he's like, y you know, that sounds familiar. Because it was kind of hush-hush. It just said a Canadian musician. And Mark Martell is from Canada. And then we... And then he looked it up, and he's like, yep, that's the guy. I'm like, wow. And I, when I look at Mark, I, I see... Freddie Mercury's love child. I mean, he oh, yeah. he looks like him in the face. I he looks like him, and I'm sure he's worked on the ticks and the, mm -hmm. the you know sticking the jaw to try to look more like Freddie when he does some of the bits. But it is it, what's surprising to me is that Queen is touring with Adam Lambert and not Mark Martell. I know, and I, I don't know if that's because I don't know. It, as a fan of Queen, sitting back, hindsight, yes, it would be great to see. 
that now. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if Queen would have come out with a Freddie Mercury look and sound alike at the time. Would people have been like, hey, that's kind of classless? Yeah. There's I, only one Freddie. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, because that would have been like when Bon Scott uh, died trying to find – I mean, they found somebody that had a similar voice in Brian Johnson, but mm-hmm. they didn't – he had – has no resemblance of Bon Scott at all. He was a completely different person, and he brought ACDC to a whole new level. Right. So I think with Mark Martell being, if he was fronting Queen, I think it would just kind of, it would be like... Well, but look, they got a, a sound-alike from Journey. The guy yeah. that, that sings for Journey sounds just like Steve Perry. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I, I've watched the video. Have you ever seen any of the video at all from Adam Lambert hosting? Mm-hmm. Can you I don't. Can you pull it up and we play a bit of it? I'm not impressed with, it sounds like a guy singing karaoke to Queen. Yeah, well, he, he doesn't sound anything. I mean, he and has a great him, voice. Right. See, I don't even think that. I think he's got a good voice. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's like when you go to hear a band, I want to hear a band sing the songs the way I know them. Yeah. And when your voice is so different, mm-hmm. do, do you have something there, Andy, or no? Paul Rogers from Bad Company was their lead singer for a short time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he was okay, but it wasn't, again. This says Queen plus Adam Lambert live at the Hollywood Bowl in 2017. All right, what have we got? Yeah, it doesn't sound anything like Freddie. He sounds like Adam Lambert. See, to me, it sounds like a Broadway singer trying to do a it show does. about Queen. Yep. Well, Adam Lambert was in theater, and that's how he learned yeah. how to project his voice the way he does, because he would do, you know, musical Broadway and type of, of uh, theater. And when he, he is, was on... He, he uh, overdoes it a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Well, when he was on American Idol, I thought for sure he was going to win, and he was something so different that I really gravitated towards him and really liked his performance performance on american idol um because it wasn't just the same old oh we have our country singer did we he have win our... that year or no no um he was up god i can't did even he remember. come in second yeah he was i wonder there's got to be some stat out there most of the people that came in second or third i think did better overall mm-hmm. than the the number one winner kelly clarkson maybe being the only exception yeah because i don't did carrie i think carrie underwood won as well maybe yeah but i mean it, well i mean there's there was 20 seasons so if you mm-hmm. can name me three out of 20 seasons that doesn't impress me a whole lot right yeah i mean chris daughtry won right and yeah. the band daughtry did pretty well for a while but they were kind of you know kelly clarkson's really the only one with staying power that won mm-hmm. that, that well was in there. carrie underwood carrie underwood has probably right. to me did she win though i felt like she didn't win that season i cannot remember it's been so long um let me look it up. But yeah. uh, And then Kelly Pickler, she was another one who kind of hit it big, but I don't remember if she was the no, winner No, she either. didn't win. I know that. I love the one year they had the, the gray goose or whatever they called him, <laughs> the guy that won that was kind of like an old, you know, fashion bluesy kind of singer. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I think people just voted him in to be different. Oh, God, what was his name? I know exactly who you're Taylor talking Taylor Hicks. Taylor Hicks, yeah. yeah. I liked him. I did too, but... I don't know if he deserved to win that year. Yeah, Carrie Underwood did win the fourth season of American Idol. Okay. Um, but yeah. Well, Ruben Stuttered won, right? Yeah, I don't Beating know Beating out Clay Aiken. Clay Aiken had a much bigger career. Yeah. But I don't know if he's still out there. I think he was doing Broadway for a while, too. Yeah. He he appears here and there. and um, but Were it, you as shocked as I was when he came out as gay? Uh, no. No? <laughs> I just love it when they're so flamboyantly gay, and then they come out as gay and everyone's shocked i'm like really <laughs> you were shocked i knew that like the moment i saw you come on tv but no, you're such a judgmental person well no so it's I, fine but it's just me. like <laughs> why is this a big deal just say i'm gay and move on rami malik is now in final negotiations negotiations to play the next james bond villain when james bond finally returns to the big screen in the much delayed and currently untitled sequel Everybody's favorite secret, secret agent will likely be facing off against a new foe, Rami Malik, Or is it Rami? I don't know. I think it's Rami. The Bohemian Rhapsody star is in his final negotiations to play the villain in the 25th entry in the franchise just days after he took home the Best Actor trophy at the Academy Awards. Variety previously reported in December that Malik was being eyed for the role, but 
His filming schedule for the final season of the Emmy Award-winning Mr. Robot precluded him from fully committing to the project. Due to the Bond film's substantial delays, the release date, and most recently pushed back another two months in early February, Malik uh, has now reportedly negotiated a deal that would allow him to appear on the USA series as the socially averse computer hacker and also torment James Bond in the new film. The Bond movies have a history of scooping up newly minted Oscar winners to face off against the hero with the like, likes of Javier Badim, who was one of the best James Bond villains, mm-hmm. Christopher Waltz, who was really disappointing as a James Bond villain. Which one was he? He was just in the last one, Inspector. He oh, played I never Blofeld, saw him. And it was just, he's such a great actor, but he was so under, you know, the, the movie before it, which was, um, God, what was it? It was... Uh, Casino Royale, Quantum of Silence, oh, Skyfall, Skyfall. Yeah. with Javier Bardem. It was such a great story, and there was this kind of mommy complex story, you mm-hmm. know, with Javier Bardem being pissed that Q favored James Bond uh. and all this. And it was this really weird story. And then they come back with the next one, and the villain has daddy issues, and he's pissed that his dad was a better dad to James Bond growing up than he was to him. It was just really lame. Yeah, so you, it's mean, like... you orchestrated all of this horror, all of these murders, all of this terrorism to pay me back because your dad liked me more. That just to me was like one of the weakest mm. plot point tips for a movie I'd ever heard. I mean, like maybe if the dad like beat him, right. but then doted on James Bond, no, that would make sense. That. He just yeah, but he was nicer to so James. You got he more toys more. than me. Doesn't right. make any sense for a super villain. <laughs> right, because James Bond's parents me. died, so this guy's father helped raise James yeah. Bond, and he he kind of took to him because Bond was athletic and charming, and that uh, was a dumb premise. Bond well, twenty twenty five, which is set to be Daniel Craig's final mission, mm-hmm. has undergone multiple failed launches since it was announced in two thousand seventeen with Slumdog Millionaire director Danny Boyle at the helm. Boyle dropped out of the project due to creative differences. Producers of the franchise revealed in August, reportedly after clashing over the casting of the film's villain. A month later, Kerry Joji Fukunaga, I had to be careful how I said that, (laughs) uh, whose credits, his last name, F-U-K-U-N-A-G-A. Fukunaga, I'm going to guess, right? That's unfortunate. Sounds Japanese to me. Yeah, yeah, whose credits include the first season of HBO's True Detective, which I hear was phenomenal, and Beasts of No Nation was brought on board as writer and director with a new vision for the film. Over the years, you've seen a lot of different iterations, not only of Bond, but of films that have mimicked it or copied it, Fukunaga told IndieWire last year. So I think the exciting part actually is going to be the original source and being able to play in a sandbox this big. The original script for Bond 25 has reportedly undergone extensive rewrites with Bourne Ultimatum writer Scott Z. Burns, among others, tapped to bring Bond back to life. Apart from Craig, Leah Sado and Naomi Harris, Ben Wishaw and Ralph Finnis are all set to reprise their roles in the follow-up film. Bond 25 is set to hit theaters in April of 2020. I've I've really enjoyed the new Bond. So yeah, A couple I'm... of plot points I'm not crazy about. It. it was like the second movie and the fourth movie in his series were the weakest, but I still enjoyed them overall. See, I'm more of a Mission Impossible gal. That's all right. You've been wrong before. You've been oh, learning about this, too. Uh, well, you haven't even bothered to watch the new. No, I haven't. Right. So, see, you, your opinion doesn't matter right now until you see the whole one. Then you'll understand the difference. It's well, been really well done. Yeah. He, he's, he's been a great... He, he breathed new life into the James Bond franchise. I got bad... Well, good news, actually, What's for that? any extremely rich Michael Jackson fans that oh. aren't too rich. Okay. Uh, Neverland Ranch, yes, down from a hundred million to thirty-five million. Now we can afford it. Oh, now that's you can a buy bargain. Uh, and also, they changed the name to what? Now it is the Sycamore Valley Ranch. Ah, because that makes sense. <laughs> well, that documentary just came out that you know painted Michael as a pedophile again. Well, uh, so... What a documentary that says that he was a pedophile. Uh-uh. So what do they think? Changing the name of the ranch will take away the past of it. Uh, pretty much, yeah. Hmm. I wonder if they removed anything that had Michael on it. No, that's the thing. Like, the gate still says Neverland over it and everything. They just changed the name on the, uh, deed, I think. Hmm. And 
lowered the price by two thirds, which is thirty five million. Boy, you know, if your dad wants to go in on it with me, uh, yep. I'll I'll kick in three or four thousand dollars, and he can cover <laughs> the rest. I'll be happy to run it for you. Him. Might be able to make like a five percent down payment, and then oh, wow. skip out on your mortgage. Yeah, just there you go. Can, can I put down the small down payment and then just squat on the house for yeah, a year or two? Exactly. There yeah. you just go. Just to say I owned it, kind of. I'll, I'll I'll just ride the carousel. My uh, my daughter would just be extremely happy. She's a Michael Jackson fan, mm. and it was funny. You know, she was. Um, so, what year did he die? Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Wow, that was very idiot savant of you, honey. <laughs> June twenty fifth, two thousand nine. So my daughter then would have been three years old, mm-hmm. and she was such a huge Michael Jackson fan. I called my ex wife, and I'm like, "Oh, did you hear the news?" She goes, "No, what?" And I go, "Michael Jackson died," mm. and she goes, "No, you're kidding." She turned on the radio. Pacey burst into tears. She was like mentally scarred by this. Three years oh, old. Oh yeah, I'm sure. You say you don't understand death. It was so cute. We went to this Beatles tribute concert outside, and they had these go-go dancers, and the kids were allowed to go up on stage and dance. And Pacey goes up and takes one of the go-go dancers' hands and holds it, and she goes, "Did you hear Michael Jackson died?" <laughs> and she's like having this breakdown moment, wow. and they're hugging on stage. It was so cute, but yeah, my daughter was is still a huge Michael fan, and it broke her heart when she started to hear. Yeah the the yeah. bad stuff and she's like dad i don't want to hear about it i don't want to hear about it it was very conflicting for me because i was a huge michael fan too and to yeah. hear that it was just like oh this God. is the way i look at it he was never convicted they never followed through on any of these cases yeah that's There's true some, there is some conflicting news but it is what it is let's take a break we've got a guest joining us next right here on the tom bernard show Tom here for Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. Right now, Sabre and Bryant are teaming up to offer 0% financing for 36 months when you buy a new Bryant furnace. This is the perfect time to replace your old furnace with a new trouble-free, energy-efficient furnace from Sabre. And when you buy Bryant equipment, you're getting one of the most trusted names in the industry. This 0% offer is available for a limited time. Call Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning to find out more, and please tell them that Tom sent you. Saber and Bryant, whatever it takes. Tom Bernard here. Hey, let me ask you, do you know me because you recognize my voice or my face? Good question, isn't it? Let me ask you another one. What do you think when I say priority courier experts? Do you know them because you recognize their trucks or do you know them by their name? Well, let me tell you something you might not know about my friends at Priority. 485 local drivers, 85 office staff. 37 million deliveries since 1997, and an opportunity for you to join their company. Drivers, you can join the fleet in your own vehicle or lease to own one of theirs. Or you can join the office staff and earn the most respectable pay in the business with 15 days off in your first year. Medical, dental, matching 401k, and a genuine chance for advancement. Just ask Ryan, who started as a driver and is now dispatch manager. Over 5,000 Minnesota companies rely on priority because every time you call us, we deliver. Join the team today at Priority.com. That's Priority.com. All right, so as we're talking about Michael Jackson and talking about kids, right? My kids go away for the summer to visit their mom in Reno, Andy, right? So I have my daughter's rooms repainted, right? And I buy one of these big shadow decals of Michael's face, and I put it on the wall next to my daughter's bed. I It was like I was the greatest father that ever lived. Mm-hmm. And then I get a call. <laughs> I get a call one night, which might be the sweetest thing I've ever heard in my life, right? My daughter calls me because she had uh, discovered the Harry Potter movie series. All right? Right. And uh, so she calls me and she starts crying. And I go, what's wrong, honey? And she goes, I don't know what to do, Dad. I love Michael so much, but I think I love Harry Potter even more. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, children. She is having a breakdown because she feels guilty for loving Daniel Radcliffe. Aww. More well, he is more age loves, appropriate. So. Yeah, more than she loves Michael Jackson, and she didn't know how to. That yep. she just couldn't get that in her head how to deal with this emotion. Yeah. I'm like, honey, you can love both. No, I really can't. <laughs> I really can't, Dad. And she's bawling, and oh, her heartbreak broke my heart as she's telling me this story. And I'm like, baby, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Michael's not going to care. He's not here anymore. Why'd you bring that? Yeah. <laughs> Probably not the right thing to say. Oh, God. It was just hysterical. I have, uh, 
I will tell you, having daughters is the most amazing and most irritating thing <laughs> on planet Earth because they do have an uh, an amazing power. Did your dad yield to your sister more than for oh, you? Oh, yeah. Yeah? She definitely – well, she actually – Kept doing the I'm just a kid thing well after she became cognizant of the fact oh, okay. that she would. <laughs> well, She's 17. I'm she would actually, she, would, she used to say, like, she would do something and then go, I don't know any better. I'm just a kid. Aww. But if you know that you're just a kid, then you do know better is the thing. And yeah. they knew that. And if she knows well enough to know that that's her defense. Yep. <clears throat> but your dad bought it? Uh... I mean, he's always, I mean, he still is very, he has no power <laughs> over the daughter. Over the, uh, the, uh, emotions. Yeah. I, uh, I have that same problem. So yep. I've got, you know, I've got four daughters. Luckily, <laughs> that, I was about to say something that would sound, come off really horrible. I was going to, luckily I didn't have to deal with this with my oldest daughter because I didn't know her. Yeah. <laughs> I found mm. out I had an oldest daughter about a year and a half, two years ago. Uh, crazy. And I, I love her to death now. I'm so glad she's a part of my life, but I'm so glad I dodged that whole bullet <laughs> because she tells me she was uh, an emotional, horrible human being. So <laughs> Melissa really does not want to have daughters because no. of that. Yeah. there. Um, and then my daughter, Kayla, she, she was an angel. She was so easy to deal with, mm. but she was a tender heart, mm-hmm. is a tender heart. So like she'd mess up and you'd go, Kayla? <laughs> that was Alex. The tears, but it was like she legitimately didn't want to disappoint oh, yeah. you. When she was yeah. young, like really young, yeah, mm-hmm. she was a uh, she had that whole. It's like she was she wasn't a bad kid, but she definitely had some issues with the uh, you know a lot of crying. Well, Pacey and Ripley have definitely m- manipulated the hell. Oh out of yeah, me. <laughs> yeah, mm. they have. Oh God, I w- I had. Just Ugh. boys, and then you know when we got together, it's like all of a sudden I have these preteen girls in my life. I'm like, I don't know what to do with them. Welcome to the club. <laughs> I was hoping you could help because you've been a preteen. Well, girl. my problem is I was a tomboy. My my dad's like looks at me and he's like, "You're the son I never had." <laughs> you know, I'd go fishing. Stop it! You're making me weird now. Right now, my wife is. I, I, I don't want to know that you're the son. <laughs> Your father never had. My sister was really girly. I was completely opposite. My mom tried to girl me up as much as possible. I wasn't having it. She'd put me in a dress, and I'd have my jean shorts on underneath. Mm. I was that kind of girl. See, my my girls have wanted to play with makeup and be girls, Mm -mm. you know, for years. Nope. So, oh, they're emotional wrecks, and it's just, (laughs) I don't know how to, I don't know how to deal with illogical tears, Andy, you know? Yeah. If you get hit in the face with a baseball, I understand those tears. <laughs> Come here, champ. Right. Let's yeah. go get some ice cream, right? When she's crying because she doesn't know if she should love Daniel Radcliffe more than Michael Jackson. Like, I don't know do the answer. Say? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, honey, I, I don't know where to take this. Uh, you're, everything's good. Come on, champ. Let's go get some ice cream. It doesn't work on the little girls. And then the heartbreaking pout. When my daughters throw that at me, I have mm-hmm. a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of problems. And they know it too. We oh, I hate it. have Ian on the phone. Oh, we do. Great. Let's uh, let's get to our guest. Uh, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, we're here to talk about um, your book, which is the birth of Loud. And uh, sorry, I'm just flipping through trying to get my computer to work for me here. Promoting the book, the birth of Loud, Leo Fender, Les Paul, and the guitar pioneering rivalry that shaped rock and roll. Thank you so much for joining us. Are you there? Well, we're having some connectivity issues again. Yeah, that's interesting. It's been happening a lot lately. Hmm. Ian? Hmm. Very interesting. Well, Ian, if you can hear us, maybe disconnect and call right back in, and we'll see if we can get onto a clearer line, and we'll... uh... I got you. There there he goes. There he is. Playing hard to get on us, Ian? Is that what you're doing? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I like to be elusive. (laughs) <laughs> well let's uh let's talk about this i mean when when you think rock and roll music and guitars you know are are the biggest part of what made that sound and here are two of the most amazing guitar creators in the world talk to me about this competition and and uh it, it had to be crazy trying to get your guitar in the hands of these rock legends to you know get that to get that attention yeah i mean it was, it was so interesting to me 
you know, as a, as a music journalist, I knew, of course, that Fender, the Fender Stratocaster, the Gibson Les Paul, they were kind of like these titanic rivals of the electric guitar world. And what I was so amazed to find out and so interested in was that, you know, before these were like the Apple and Microsoft of the guitar world, <laughs> right. these two guys were actually friends. I mean, they were hanging out together, tinkering together in a garage in Hollywood in the 1940s trying to get a new sound out of the electric guitar. So they started as, and, and, as you know, co-workers or, or co-conspirators, if you will, in, in creating a new sound and a new a new tool. And But was there a rivalry? When we say a rivalry, I mean, was it a, an angst-filled rivalry or was it a friendly rivalry between these two as they began to grow with their own versions of, of you know, guitars? You know, I mean, I think it started out as kind of a more friendly rivalry, but then when you had, you know, Fender was this tiny company, you know, it was really kind of only popular in the Southwest. Um, and then when you had Gibson kind of come on the scene and try to compete with Fender by introducing the Gibson Les Paul, which, you know, had the name of Fender's old friend on it, um, Gibson kind of represented an existential threat to Fender. I mean, they could have put Fender out of business if Fender wasn't really careful. So, you know, I think that the rivalry became a lot more heated and a lot more serious once the electric guitars actually got out into the world. You know, I was listening to recently um, Roger Daltrey's book, and it was funny as he's talking mm -hmm. about guitars, and he couldn't afford guitars, so he would build his own guitars. <laughs> and he goes and looks in, in the window and sees, I think it was a, a, a Fender, and he's like, oh, so he kind of measures it up through the window and creates his own guitar, but didn't realize that the window made it bigger. It <laughs> so he ended up with this much larger version of the guitar that it was supposed to have. But it was great to hear. And a lot like of the musicians that. that we've come to love and adore have been integral in, in getting sounds out of their guitars that nobody else could. And finding ways to work with Les Paul, finding ways to work with uh, Fender and getting a, a totally new innovative sound. And that's it's, it's amazing to, to think that two guys were so integral in in making a new wave. And I don't know, you know, I know there's been changes throughout the years, but basically you're still working off the, the ground floor of what they really put into play. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I mean, you know, if you ask a guitarist, you know, most like guitarists, what they want most, you know, it'd be a 1959 Les Paul or a 1962 Fender Stratocaster. I mean, they haven't really gotten any better in the last 50 years. And, and as you point out, you know, you know, musicians like wrung kind of sounds out of these that their designers never intended. I mean, you know, Fender like didn't know that people were going to pick up the Stratocaster and use it for rock and roll. I mean, he intended it for Western swing and country music and stuff. And, you know, to find, you know, like Hendrix would find a uh, little middle setting between the pickup switch to get a kind of like muted sound that, um, you know, Mark Knopfler of like the Dire Straits later made famous. Hendrix did, or Fender didn't like that. You know, he didn't like distortion. So players saw potential in these instruments that their creators never even intended. Yeah, I wonder if they intended for guys like uh, Pete Townsend to be <laughs> smashing the guitars on stage. Well, one of my, my all-time favorite artists is Prince, and he's made so many guitars, yeah. you know, just... I mean, when we went to Paisley Park, the the most thing I was looking forward to seeing were all of his guitars on display because you have so many memories and the sound that – I mean, when you look at it, you can hear that sound coming out of that guitar. And one of his favorite ones was neither a Fender or a Les Paul, but it was a Telecaster, which I believe – was that kind of based off the Les Paul or was that a, more of a Fender um, so the Fender Telecaster was like, that was the first Fender electric kind of guitar. Like that was the first commercial solid body that Fender put out and mm -hmm. the first one ever really. Um, and Prince, yeah, Prince played a copy of that made by, I forget the company. I think it was Fernandez. I could be wrong, but he, he made like, he had a copy of that mm -hmm. originally, like way back in the day in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And then he actually had some fancy guitar makers build him more copies of that original guitar because... He liked it so much, and it was identified with him. So you've got Fender. yeah. Fender's this kind of quiet guy, too, right? And he's half blind? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
He had one eye. He lost his eye in a childhood accident. Um, he's really quiet. You know, his parents really didn't have a lot of expectations for him when he was growing up. And he kind of bumbled his way into middle age before he started this, like, radio repair shop. And then he started fixing musicians' amplifiers. So he was a real backroom kind of workbench guy, just really good at, at working on electronics. Did <laughs> Was he alive to see Jimi Hendrix do the Star Spangled Banner on <laughs> He offender. was, yeah. I, yeah. I, I wouldn't. I, I would love to know response. what was his response to that. To hear his guitar make those noises and see that guitar come to life in a way that nobody else had ever done. I know. I would love to have you know been a fly on the wall when Leo Fender saw that for the first time. We don't know that specifically. I have like heard accounts of you know people of Fender's generation who worked at Fender. Seeing Hendrix, seeing that him like smash, seeing Pete Townsend smash guitars, and just being like completely horrified, just like absolutely <laughs> outraged, you know, because it was so antithetical to what they were going after. Well, I love, I love the fact too that uh, as Jimi Hendrix gets picked up to be the Monkees' opening band, two, I don't think you could come up with more diametrically opposed sounds than the bubblegum rock of the Monkees and and Jimi Hendrix experience. And he pours lighter fluid on his guitar, lights it on stage, and starts flipping off the Monkees fans because they keep cheering for Davy Jones to come out. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you got to be pretty pissed to light your guitar on fire. Oh, is that when he was on his knees going like... I don't know if that was the famous scene, uh, at which one he came out on that, but... Man, just... he, had, he had a habit of setting his guitars yeah. on fire. Well, that, that became kind uh, of one of his things, did, didn't did. it? Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah he lo- you know, you, you love something, you sacrifice it, and, and he did it for show. I mean, he was a consummate showman, right? And yeah. he, did, he mm. lit the guitar on fire at uh, Monterey Pop in 1967, and that was like his first big show in the States. That's um, how the monkeys came to know him, right? Yeah. Blown away. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, he, and honey, don't worry. He would do anything to get a... Yeah, when you said that you sacrifice the things you love, my wife got a little nervous looking. Um, <laughs> don't, no. Don't worry. <laughs> what, what an amazing story uh, to kind of delve into. I mean, were you, what was some of the most surprising things that you uncovered when you were doing the research for this? You know, it's interesting. I, I It was interesting to me how much the guitar companies originally, like Gibson and Fender, had no idea about rock and roll. Like, they were just as oblivious as the record industry. And, you know, in the 50s, you know, the kind of adults in the record industry, they didn't want Elvis to succeed. They didn't want Little Richard. They didn't want Chuck Berry. I mean, they thought this was kind of horrible. And they they thought it was a fad that would go out of of style almost immediately. And to, to see that, like, you know, these companies created the instrument that defined rock and roll. But they were so slow to pick up on how important rock and roll really was. That was fascinating. Fantastic. Uh, The book, again, is called The Birth of Loud, Leo Fender, Les Paul, and the Guitar Pioneering Rivalry that Shaped Rock and Roll. Ian, thank you so much for stopping by today. Hey, thank you so much for having me. All right, stay tuned. we got more coming your way. I'm Dave Schrader. This is The Tom Bernard Show.